John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1172.mk0652, certificate number 50925, sliced bread. Are you an inventor, Ken? You seem uh, to the outside world like you might be a tinkerer. Uh, is that right? Do I give off a tinker vibe? What's he building in What's there? What's he got in his workbench? Yeah. Do you, do you have a, do you ever have a brainstorm where you think, you know, I just made the perfect spouse trap. I, spouse trap. <laughs> like, am I building a trap for my spouse or a trap for a new spouse? Well, no, I, you don't need a new spouse. Your spouse is great. So yeah. I guess I would don't... need both. One to kill off the current spouse, <laughs> like a tiger trap, and then some kind of honey trap for the new spouse. Your spouse seems hard to trap. Uh, she's very wily. Yeah, she, she she is. I tried to paint like a fake uh, tunnel uh-huh. on the wall of a cliff thinking she would run into it. Right. And she did, but she just disappeared into the tunnel. What? And then I tried to follow her and bang, I hit right into the wall. Have you ever have you ever put a big pile of bird seed in the middle of the road, <laughs> but like put, put like lead pellets in it? Uh, she's not that into bird seed. Oh, I had oh. to put in uh, Greek yogurt. Hmm. Just a big, <laughs> just a big blob of Greek yogurt in the middle Got of a cheese. highway in the southwest. So, are you? Do you do you come up with ideas? Do you come up with little machines? I don't really have the. Uh, I don't really have the knack. I would like to. I remember as a kid, always wishing I could build a robot, and like thinking you could. Like, yeah. hey, let's go down to the junkyard because people in children's books are always doing this. Hey, let's go down to the junkyard, and then we'll build a robot, and then we'll make it do our chores. Sure, it's a it's a little rascal's <laughs> plot line. I could never. It, it turned out to be so hard to even, you know. Like to even imagine how it would work that I, you know, quickly gave up on all these plans. I was the same way. You know, I wanted a, I wanted a soapbox racer, a go-kart so badly, but my dad wasn't particularly handy. And I did go down to the junkyard and I scavenged some old wheels and a rod that would work as a, as an axle and some milk crates and a, Steering wheel from a boat. I mean, you know, I lived in, because I grew up in the 1940s, uh, <laughs> junkyards still were full of... You and Spanky and Alfalfa went down cans, and... Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't figure out how to fasten all these things together. Exactly. How do you put it together? So I had it out in the, in the, in the garage and I put it, I put stuff on top of each other so that it looked like a go-kart, but it would not roll 
nor would it support my weight. And my dad was no help. You know, he, he, um, I would ask him for help and he'd say like, well, if it doesn't have to do with torts, I don't know. I'm, I'm no use to you. Your dad too. Also all about torts. right? My ki- yeah, exactly. But my kids have to invent things for school. My oh. son in particular last year had a very mechanically minded physics teacher. So, you know, I was hoping he would be learning the laws of thermodynamics and he's like, no, I just have to build a roller coaster where it takes the ball exactly 20 seconds to get from here to here. Hmm. And I like that. It's pr- honestly for an engineering career, that's probably really good prep. Yeah. But it just meant that he was, he and his smelly friends are constantly in the basement trying to get. Were they making Legos out of popsicle to- sticks? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly Legos. That's oh. the one thing I didn't realize as a kid, Weird. you know, like you should really just, the, no matter what the project is, the diorama for school, the, uh, you know, the, the invention for the science fair, just, just make it out of Lego. Legos. Uh, Legos are expensive. That's, that's the, the problem. Make them out of mega blocks. Mm. Make them out of the not so good Legos. That's not as good. Uh, they really aren't. You'll, you'll get a worse grade. But in this country, we love inventors and we're so proud. I mean, uh, the United States of the mid to late 19th century and early 20th century, we were responsible for so many uh, new inventions, so many new conveniences that, that were meant to improve our, our quality of life. Uh, the patent office was working overtime. They were working with overtime. With all the mouse traps and whatnot. And it was a very American century or an American uh, era. Uh, the the era of the backyard tinkerer who develops a um, you know a system that ends up being widely adopted. A lot of it motivated by a desire to free us from drudgery. I think uh, by the late nineteenth century, drudgery became a uh, like a a major bugaboo for uh, for people as they realized though the railroad has shortened distances and the telegraph has has uh, shortened distances we're now able to live like rich people um, and be, but as middle class people yeah when all you have is drudgery you don't even notice right you know you just assume I'm going to wake up and then I'm going to do backbreaking work for sixteen hours and then I'm going to go to sleep and then it'll happen again until Sunday. But but at this point we'd cleared the forests and uh, and we were starting to build all these ingenious little apparatuses um, and it it sparked the imagination I guess of a of a country and if you think about what life would have been like for your average person in 1850 and compare it to 1950 sure we got soft we well uh, but also I mean life in 1850 and life in 1550. For the majority of people, more or less the same. You yeah. go down and get water from the well and so forth. But by 1950, the the um, the average American had access to an awful lot of of modern appliances and modern conveniences that we think we don't even think of as being the province of wealthy people now. But yeah, laundry, you know, like that. Nobody had that, right? Electric light, indoor plumbing. I mean, it's all la- laziness is a is a very strong motivator there are my, my, five five my, billion people in the world that that um that don't have access to even indoor the plumbing right brighter doorknobs even or, or even doorknobs. <laughs> if you could choose one if you could only have a doorknob on your outhouse or an indoor, outhouse. Plumbing. indoor plumbing is what i would choose <laughs> in fact over almost if if indoor plumbing is off the table right if 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 you if you risk losing indoor plumbing to choose any other convenience i'm going to go with plumbing in a, bl- in a blind test. Well, it depends on where you live. Door, behind door number one, behind door number two. We live two. in a rainy climate. You know, we have very strong 
reasons to not be wandering the yard in the middle of the night. Although you do it anyway. But wait, you're you're <laughs> saying that if you lived in a desert climate, you would you'd love to go yeah, out in the middle poop, of the night? Just go, go poop in the dunes. Poop in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> you're, it's a big. If you live in the desert, it's a big litter box. Basically, right, there, right, there's right. no need. That's right. To trouble your tent. But one of the one of the phrases that has become kind of a a uh, like the catchphrase of this kind of tinkering ingenuity is um, is a very distinctive American phrase. Uh, it's the best thing since sliced bread, or the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's a very interesting phrase because it suggests that the best thing you could think of in that moment, as you were trying to finish the metaphor, was sliced bread, bread. that came. In slices rather than loaves. And because we are children of the late 20th century, we, um, we cannot envision a time when the lack of sliced bread was ever an issue for people. It seems like, it seems like a pretty small extra step to slice your bread. When you think about the upgrade between a hole in the ground in your backyard and a flushing toilet next to your bedroom... That's game changing. Yeah. Whereas, Electric light versus Sure. And I don't, candles. to me, that's not there when it's a piece of bread that you have to cut with a knife versus a piece of bread that you don't have to cut with a knife. It's a, it's a, it's an improvement. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But it's, it's a tweak, you well, know, it's at, like uh, it's wallpaper. We, we're from a time when, um, when fancy people actually, started to prefer to buy unsliced bread. I was wondering if you were going to get there. It's the slow food movement. That's right. It's pretty fancy. And uh, I'm not going to get, like my kids want me to buy like a a rectangular prism of sliced bread because that's the kind of white gummy stuff they want on their peanut butter sandwiches. Right, because they're children. And I'm like, but look at this beautiful artisanal loaf. Oh, this is a baguette from the... It's from Seattle's overpriced bakery. (laughs) Like we should get this. Well, bread, of course... It has spelt... It does have spelt. It probably has spelt. Bread is a is clearly a very symbolic to human beings. We have used bread as a as a uh, medium of exchange. I mean, bread is like the ultimate sort of staple. Um, we say our daily bread to mean food. To mean all food, right? Although I mean, when I say we, maybe the West. Like I'm sure the Chinese uh, say our me- daily rice. I'm sure the Chinese metaphor is rice. I yeah. think I think that's actually true. Yeah, right. In in a, in Chinese translations of the Bible, when uh, when it when it when the Bible in the West would read our daily bread, give us this day. Um, in China, that's translated as "Give us this day our daily rice." Well, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure in the it's Irish the Bible it says "Give us this day our daily potatoes." No, I don't think it does. No, no, the Irish use the same Bible as the uh, as the English. In, in Portland, America. does it say "Give us this day our daily quinoa"? I think I, I think it does. In, in in Portland, it says "Give us this day our daily wheat beer." Wheat beer. Wheat beer. Do you have to have one of those a day? Hefeweizen. Uh, but but. Sliced bread, I mean, so bread is very symbolic, right? And and um, the technology to make whiter and whiter bread uh, was something that was also happening in the 19th century because dark breads, rye breads, seedy breads were seen as the province of the poor. Uh, and it has nothing to do with preference of taste. It's just the kind of people I've seen eating them, right? Yeah, that's right. These hearty breads are made by by Polish immigrants or they are— um, you know they they have a kind of Eastern European feeling, but they're also the easier bread to make. You get a bunch of grains together and grind them up, and and in it goes. And to refine flour to make it, um, 
well, the process of refining it is was extremely laborious. And then in the mid 19th century, they developed rolling um, wheat processing, where the where the little grain, the little grain would get kind of squeezed under a roller and the kernel would shoot out and leave behind all of the wheat germ and the chaff. The brand. It's probably the nutritious part. All the nutritious part. And then you could grind up this, this, these little kernels and make white flour. And then you could additionally process that until you had this like, you know, cake flour or, um, you can bleach it, right? Like you, you literally, you'd be literally put like chlorine or, or, uh, yeah. hydrogen peroxide or something to make your it's not it's not an accident that it kind of in addition to not being what i've seen the pores eat it's also got a, a white pure color right right it, it just the an accident of of color theory means that it seems cleaner or nicer in like, some way like snowy snowy bread right. and i'm sure it's led to all kinds of problematic racial views as well this idea in our culture that white bread you know, is better than brown bread well the, the white things are better than brown things and right. white clothes the, the, the nice white clothes are better and you know we accidentally apply it to complexion as well right it's awful i don't know if it's an accident it might be uh well yeah it's self yeah. it's very self-serving for the people who happen to have the white bread colored skin but white bread in as white flour and white bread uh were you know first arriving on the scene they were rich people food you know this was this uh the the idea that you could take the the colored wheat germ out and only have the the purest part of the wheat um you know it was expensive to do and white bread was was a uh, was a, a luxury good. Things that often happens with food luxury goods, right? It's just whatever's hard, right? What's ever difficult to get. Like there. saffron doesn't actually taste as good as garlic, but saffron costs ten thousand times per <laughs> pint what garlic costs because you have to pull it's, it. It's much yellower. You have to pull it from the little yellow anthers of a oh. crocus plant or something, whereas you know garlic's everywhere. What was interesting about white bread was. Um, the more and more processed it was, of course, the less and less nutrition was in it. Right. As you did said. Did anybody know that? They didn't know, huh? They did know it. Oh. And by nineteen by the nineteen forties, um people were getting uh berry berry and plurzy and you know, they 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 were they were not getting the nutrition and there's a significant amount of nutrition in in seeds and and dark bread. And there's almost none in white bread. So by the 40s, um, it was, I think, in the – it was like early 40s. South Carolina, of all places, was the first state to mandate that that white bread be enriched with vitamins and iron. Um, like it's, this is so bad for you. We're going to have to artificially put the things you need back into it. Right. We're putting, we're putting vitamins in it now. And by 1944, there was – a. Uh, it became national law that all like yeast raised wheat products had to have fortification, vitamins <laughs> and other nutrients put into it. And that that's still true, right? All that, all that enriched, enriched bread. Um, I, I took my kids out to that animal park on the uh, Olympic Peninsula where all the oh, yeah. retired Disney, it started out with retired Disney movie animals knocking around, but now they've got herds of zebras and llamas yeah, and bison and, and whatnot. Stuff, yeah. And they'll just reach into your car and they'll want to eat because for many years uh, we treated these wild animals like ducks. We would, <laughs> people would just show up with their big loaves of Wonder Bread 
And, uh, you know, the llamas have, they'll, they'll stick their head in your car and drool all over you because they know you have bread. But uh, at some point in the, I want to say the 80s or 90s, maybe you remember this animal rights groups complained that this is, you know, that bleached white flour bread is not what any of these animals would eat in the wild. And in fact, it's not healthy for them. They're not getting the nutrients they need, even with the South Carolina mandated iron or whatever. So they were they were protesting this the existence of this wildlife park and yeah. with good reason. It's they're absolutely not wrong. Yeah, it's it's just like it's just like feeding them marshmallows for all intents and purposes. So but but then it was during that period, the mid 20th century that white bread became gradually over the course of our lives, white bread went from being a an expensive commodity or at least a privileged a prized thing to have in your lunchbox. Because my mom wouldn't buy Wonder Bread. She wouldn't buy white bread. She only would buy wheat bread from the three-day-old rack. Like Aura Wheat? Was it like a... Yeah. And so I would sit at the lunch table, you know, opening my, my, uh, my Speed Racer lunch pail and sitting kind of in shame at the honey-soaked crust of my Aura Wheat... While all the all the fancy girls around me pulled out their Wonder Bread sandwiches. I feel like as a kid, we had the Wonder Bread first, and I associated that with my parents' generation. And I thought it was cool to have the brown, crunchier Oh, uh, well, breads. see, it's a little bit, you're a little younger than I am. And, you know, that's what happened in the wildlife park as well. The, uh, the, the park agreed to the animal rights protesters' objection that animals should not be fed white bread. And now what happens is when you drive into the park, they will issue you a loaf of whole wheat bread. Oh, that's nice. Which you can then you can then feed the the cheapest whole wheat bread <laughs> to the llamas and the zebras and the bison. I'm sure that's much more like what they eat on the savanna. But when you go to the supermarket now, there are 500 kinds of seedy, crunchy, nutty bread. In, a, in Seattle, it's harder to find just a boring, squishy white bread. It's impossible almost. Yeah. And of course, my daughter still, well, the first time she had a, a sandwich on white bread... She was blown away by it, you know, like because it is. It's just like eating a beanbag chair, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so, of course, she prefers it because it is. It's just like it's it's the bread equivalent of macaroni and cheese. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout my wife fools the kids by getting something that's it's somehow it's a wheat bread but it's colored white. I'm not sure how they're doing this and maybe it's a scam. Well, they do have they do have like albino wheat. There is wheat that <laughs> it, that the whole the whole grain is there but it doesn't have any color. The problem is that if you leave the germ in when you make the flour, then the flour will go rancid because the germ has oh. living stuff in it so it's got a longer shelf life so if you take the germ out if you if you process it all this this like super processed flour can sit on the shelf a lot longer like indefinitely but if you but whole wheat flour 
with the with all of the the germ in it. Yeah, it goes bad. So does the slice bread metaphor uh, refer specifically to like is that from the white bread era? I mean, when some who, who were the first people to sell pre-sliced bread? Well, so a lot of stuff was going on during this period. The the um, how, how much of this show is us saying a lot of stuff was going on during this period? Listen, a lot of stuff. <laughs> let me tell you about this period. A lot of stuff was going on. Unlike other periods, which had few stuffs. Throughout the 19th century and before, like, I mean, people recognized that toasting bread was delicious. And the way that you toasted bread was uh, you had a little a little kind of cage. Yeah. You put the bread you in the cage. You have to hold it over a fire in a rack. Hold it over the fire. That's right. And then flip it over and uh, and and toast the it's other like side. It's like making s'mores. I think I would rather just eat bread. That doesn't seem worth the trouble to me. Well, a lot of people felt this same way in the late 19th century. And during this age of invention... Um, uh, sort of contemporaneous with uh, with Edison trying to perfect the light bulb, the other major uh, research in that direction was to create an electric filament that would toast a side of bread. So they're trying to invent the easy bake oven, basically. These were the two things that mattered most to them. Like, <laughs> we could get illumination from this technology, but also, could it toast bread? <laughs> could we get toast? And it was harder to get the bread toaster than it was to th- make the electric light bulb because the electric light bulb hap- that filament heats up within of the vacuum of the bulb. So there's no risk of fire. There's no risk of, um, you know, the, 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 it's a controlled environment inside right. the vacuum. Whereas a toaster, the uh, filaments that, have to be next to something very flammable. Right. And bread. the, and the, then the filaments would tend to melt. They tend to catch on fire. There were a lot, it was a lot more complicated to make, to build the first toaster. So Thomas Edison's just a moron, basically. Thomas Edison's like, oh, he's over there with his light he bulb. He picked the easiest thing. Whereas in the next lab, Garrett Toaster uh, is working on his namesake uh, invention. Well, it was actually the first electric toaster is from Scotland. It was invented by a guy named Alan McMasters, not McMasters, but MacMasters. That's how I know he's Scottish. Uh, in 1893, but it but it kind of, you know, it, it continued to evolve. It was sort of invented again in the U.S. in 1909. Um, and the original toasters, you had to turn the bread. It would toast one side, and then you'd manually pick the bread up and flip it over uh, to toast the other side. It's like, uh, you know, record players. Yeah, right, exactly. Eventually, they had the kind that would read both sides. But and so, so then there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of experimentation in the in the toaster field, uh, trying to invent a toaster that would flip the bread automatically, like so, a jukebox. Yeah, it wasn't like uh, they they didn't imagine put put the toasting elements on both sides. It was uh, how do we how do we get a lever or something that you know the flips the bread, sort of like a Nakamichi tape deck. Can you imagine the guy that had the first, you know, woke up in the morning and was like, wait a second, we could just have a second set of filaments. Well, I do know who that guy was. That was Charles Strike in 1926, who invented the first pop-up toaster, the first toaster that is like a contem- our contemporary toasters that toasts the bread on both sides. And it knows when it, there's a timer to tell it when to stop toasting. Which was a, uh, well, initially it was, the, the problem with early toasters was that the first set of toast you made took a lot longer than the second set because it takes all that time to heat up up. so there so that was i mean believe me toaster technology continues to evolve um that was there should be starter bread you put in you know like like this first marriage is not going to last here like 
char the hell out of char those. this. They they uh, they they came up with various ways of sort of uh, the toaster either preheating or toaster you know uh, insta heating, having internal dynamics that would tell you when the toast was hot enough, like t- little temperature sensors. Well, Got to have a thermometer. But you know, toasters now are one of the one of the first places that the Internet of Things started to reside. Uh, toasters that were connected to the internet. Toasters that you could... There's a toaster um, that will take the daily weather report and toast it into your bread so that if it's a sunny day, your toast will look differently than if it's a rainy day. Answering a problem that no one actually has. No one cares. It's all those people who have been eating toast and are thinking, why doesn't this bread tell me the weather forecast? There's a toaster that actually has two slots for hot dogs. So you can (laughs) toast... Your bread and two hot dogs. Like, you put them in vertically. Can you put a bun in? Well, I guess. I mean, oh, yeah. I think the toaster, actually, the slots are rounder so that you can put buns in and make... I mean, that's a... I guess that's solving a problem I didn't know I had. That's more like the... uh, That's more like the solving the problem, what do I get dad, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, this, nobody wants this thing, but it's a a novelty, so it's a gift item. And it sits in the kitchen for about a month, and then mom moves it to the garage. I guess we know hot dogs must be a sandwich, if you can make them in a toaster. Uh Uh-oh, you're just going to wade right into that, huh? I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, You know, there are, uh, toasters remain kind of a a, a problem in America. You have, you do you have a Toasters remain a problem in America? Well, yeah, they cause like over 800 deaths from electrocution. Oh, right. Um, Toasters are still like a little. Because people just jam a fork in there. They're like a little electric fire on your counter. And yeah, there are all kinds of, all kinds of bad things can happen. Toaster can catch on fire at any, at any moment, frankly. And that is probably at the center of our story because the toaster invented by Charles Streit, um, if you are hand slicing bread, I know you're a fancy pants. And so you do this periodically, you hand slice bread. I do have to hand slice bread. It's, uh, it's hard to get your bread into uniform slices. Mm -hmm. And if you're using an automatic toaster and putting sort of randomly sized slices in the toaster, the toaster does not work as well. Oh, Uh, Bread will get jammed. If they're too big, they'll get jammed. If they're too thin, they'll cook faster than the the, thicker piece. That's right. One uh, one, uh, slice will kind of fold over and collapse under its own weight. Uh, The other one won't even go down or or, uh, won't pop up. Which right. is extremely dangerous. I mean, that's what usually happens. It doesn't go down. So, you you know, the thing goes down, the bread sticks out, you, you jam it down, and then it won't pop up. You'll right. hear the click, but nothing pops. So we can only imagine um, how these these worlds are colliding. But, um, uh, but a man named Otto Rowetter, Rowetter uh, who lived in Davenport, Iowa, was, he, was a, he studied to be an optometrist. He... Uh, He was a jeweler there. He ran a series of jewelry stores, but he was a tinkerer. He was one of these great Americans who uh, was out in the garage trying to invent a better mousetrap. And the problem that he identified in the world was that bread was unevenly sliced. Bread Slicing bread was an onerous task. It took up so many man hours and it could be, there was a, there was a way to automate it. And he worked on his, Worked in his garage on his automatic bread slicer. This is in this is before the invention of the toaster as we know it, uh, the pop up toaster. But it is after the invention of the the toaster where you you need to flip the bread yourself. But these things are happening 
contemporaneously. We've got technology advancement on the toasting side. We've got people moving ahead on the slicing side. Like we've got wheat being refined. We are, we're, it's just like the moon landing. It's like the <laughs> Apollo program. Let a thousand white flowers bloom. Right. Like so much is happening at once. We're going in the bread from, field. We're gonna we're going to transition from a time where loaves are shaped like turtles to a time when you can go into any deli in America and get a uniform ham and cheese sandwich that looks the same everywhere. And people love that kind of efficiency. You know, if you can stack the bread neatly, it ships yep. more easily. It really seems like future bread to these people. Well, Otto works and and Otto had that great that great quality that a lot of inventors do where he believed in his he believed in what he was doing and he committed to it fully. He sold his jewelry stores and poured the money into his bread slicing machine plans and mock-ups. His wife's like, "Otto, Otto, come on, honey." But there and there was a tragedy. There was a fire in his workshop. Oh no. That burned all of his his uh, mock-ups, all of his designs, all of his plans. And it set him back. It set him back 10 years. Maybe not 10 years. Yeah, let's say let's say 10 years. It set America back 10 years it in did. bread technology. Well, we, the America didn't even know what it was missing because the thing is, pre-sliced bread, no one knew they needed sliced bread. It's just like right now you and I are sitting in a world that futurelings can only try to... Try to imagine what it was like for us to live in a world pre-automatic tongue scrapers. Or I, I can't. I, the thing is, I can't imagine what the new technology. If is. we knew, we'd be like Otto, and we'd be billionaires. Right now, there's an Otto sitting in a garage somewhere. Hopefully, that garage is not on fire. Most garages have autos in them. I would give you a credit for that, but I, I, I can't find the. Do you know what he should have called this lab? He should have called this lab Auto Parts. Uh, uh, you're very uncomfortable right well, now. Well, you did. You, you 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 really hit one out of the park, and then your second one was kind of a grounder to <laughs> third. <laughs> got got thrown out at first. Uh, but Otto, un, un, uh, undeterred, goes back to work, and um, in 1928 has his bread slicing machine ready, and he patents it. He he. He gets all the necessary, he patents all of his innovations and it truly is an automatic bread slicer. Think how far ahead he must've been of the, of the culture. The, the fact that he had to punt for 10 years and he was still, still the first to market. Still first on the scene. Um, it was not an immediate success. Uh, there were some people. Were people like, this is not the best thing since anything. There were, there were some, uh, there was like a little bit of, uh, it took a little bit of time. There was a, there was a company, um, in Chillicothe, Missouri, and I think it might be Chillicothe because I have a pair of cowboy boots from Olathe, Missouri, uh, and it's spelt the same way. So it might be Chillicothe. I'm not sure. You're the, you're the expert on pronunciation here. Well, I say Missouri. So what do I know? Chillicothe, Missouri. I don't want to say Chillicothe because I bet you that it's a Chillicotha. There is a plant called the Chillicothe. Yeah. All right. Well, let's call it the Chillicothe then. Chillicothe. That sounds like a, that sounds like a quasi Southern town. Chillicothe. Like Tallahassee. Yeah, it sounds like something that, that, that REM would sing about. <laughs> uh, but they, a company um, called Clean Made and 
this is a, this is going to be a subset of this episode because clean made, which implies that the bread is cleanly made, right, is spelled K L E E N M A I D. Uh, clean made, and I, this was very it popular. Like a robot in, that's going to vacuum your room. Yeah, it's very popular in the nineteen twenties. And 30s to to have these intentional misspellings as a way of of expressing a kind of modern. And we're still stuck with all those products, Kleenex yep. and Quick yep. and stuff, where yep. the words are misspelled. Clean made. They start selling sliced bread there in Missouri, uh, but the problem with Otto Rowetter's slicing machine is that it because it also it's a slicing and packing machine. It packages the bread, but once the bread is sliced, the loaf is all uneven looking. And so when is it, it because it shaved things off to make it kind of a cube? Or? No, they just hadn't figured out. If you think about if you had a, if you had a loaf of bread and tried to slice it evenly and keep the bread even in a, in a, like an elegant looking loaf shape, instead of just sort of a jumble of bread, that's all sort of out of position with one another. It's more challenging than it seems. And Otto's machine packaged the bread but in a way that looked messy mm. and people thought eh, that bread's gonna go stale um it's a it's an unappealing unsightly an unsightly presentation so um so a man in st louis that same year by the name of gustav poppendick i know i have no jokes i know but you snorted he bought the he bought uh, Otto's second ever slicer, but he made some improvements um, uh, in the in the form of the way the bread was packaged, so that it actually sort of packaged into a, a little cardboard tray that kept the bread uh, kept the bread even and in a loaf and made it very appealing. Uh, and then a, a, a man by the name of W. E. Long had a company called Wholesome Bread. Wholesome spelt H O L S U M. See, I don't. I just don't like that kind of. I think it might have been a little bit folksy too. That was kind That's of right. a, a frontier thing. A frontier where thing. where people would spell all correct as all correct, and that's where we get okay. For example, it was kind of an American fad to spell things wrong, like in a faux naive way. With the banjos going, that's and the, right. Yeah, little little uh, Crocs, right? All the food came in Crocs at the time. Everything was in Crocs. Do you remember not when, the shoes with the holes? Do you remember when you would get cheese in a Croc? When was the last time you had Croc cheese? I've never had cheese in a Croc. I've had. We used to get margarine in a Croc. You did. That was our main Croc purchase. But, but was it a real Croc or was it one of those fake Crocs? It was a plastic Croc. Yeah. No. No. I'm talking about a like a earthenware Croc. Where did you live that you were getting earthenware food? Did you keep it in a river to keep it cold? <laughs> no. But but in the early 70s, people were, and it might have been the slow food movement of the time. People, I. I got cheese in a crock, and we got. Uh, Did you get potted meats? We got other things in crocks. How, mu- how much pot? Much potted meat were you eating? Well, they fed me potted meat, but we were poor. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was no less than the Continental Baking Company in 1930 who Wonder Bread was already a product. Um, Wonder Bread is, dates from the 20s. Does Continental make Wonder Bread? Continental did at the time. Uh. Um, Wonder Bread. If you look at a Wonder Bread label and it's got those very color, it's very colorful. It's got the these colorful blue bubbles. Bubbles. Yeah. The the colored bubbles represent the uh, rep- represent balloons, and the name Wonder Bread uh, refers to the sense of wonder that the vice president 
of um, the Taggart Baking Company, who who where where the where Wonder Bread originated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vice president, Elmer Klein, went to the international balloon race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he was so filled with wonder at the balloons at all the balloons. This doesn't seem super bread related, Elmer. That he brought it back. He brought it back to the bakery and was like, "I've got it." <laughs> I've got it. We'll call it Wonder Bread. And I think the original um, the original advertising campaign for Wonder Bread was kind of like uh, the one for the Segway, where they didn't tell you what it was. They just said, a, w- a new wonder is coming. This is going to change your bread box forever. And people are like, what is it? What is it? It could be, what if it's an automated scooter? What if it's a hovercraft? And I it think turned m- out to be white bread. I think more food should be named after just something cool and filled with numinous power that you saw one afternoon. Right. 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 Like Like ectoplasm noodles, (laughs) a really nice waterfall tuna fish, (laughs) a cool double rainbow potted meat. But as things go in business, right? Continental baking company bought the Taggart baking company. All these baking companies, not only do they have hilarious names like come and go, but they have, uh, they, they keep purchasing one another. They're, um, it's a very competitive business. Did, did the Pop and Dick guy own Come and Go? Uh, no, but wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Why doesn't the world give us those things on a silver plate? There planet? is still some Midwestern convenience store where Come, come and Go is spelled K-U-M, right? Yes, that's, it is. That's, it's, that's unfortunate. It's very popular there in uh, in Wisconsin, uh, Minneapolis, Someone should Iowa. tell them. Well, I some think other know. state that has sex should tell them. The problem is that uh, people from other states on road trips, always pull over and take pictures of those places uh, because they can't help themselves. And it's that, big business. That's right. So why would the place change its name? Fair enough. We're, we're part of the problem. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start continental introduces wonder bread nationally and it's the first national brand that comes sliced pre-sliced so wonder bread and sliced bread Go, um, they, they kind of introduced to the majority of Americans. There's two kinds of bread. There's Wonder Bread, and then there's the old crappy unsliced. Bread. And there's the other kind of bread. So, Wonder Bread was introduced in 1930 nationally by the uh, by the Continental Baking Company. And Wonder Bread is a phenomenon in other countries too. Canada has its own Wonder Bread. Can, uh, Wonder Bread is available in Mexico, and most interestingly, also in Pakistan. Really? Those are its main markets. Mexico, Canada, um, America, and Pakistan. All are like big Wonder Bread consumers. I, I got to know the Pakistan story. 
some crate must have gone astray. Well, it's just, you know, it's like if somebody had a franchise opportunity and they were like, you know, I'm from Pakistan. I don't think anybody has the Wonder Bread franchise there yet. Uh, so, so it, by 1933, 1933 was the first year that more pre-sliced bread was sold than unsliced bread. It's insanely recent. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, prior to, I mean, my mom was born in 34. So yeah, people she, are alive today who yeah. remember not having sliced bread. Or having, you know, depend, it was one of those things, depending on the house, right? You'd go into this this friend's house and her mom didn't buy that newfangled sliced bread. And then your modern mom with her modern, uh, her modern puffy sleeves was like, we only eat sliced bread over here. It's full of wholesome goodness. It's full of wholesome goodness. It's, it's enriched. (laughs) (laughs) It's enriched because we squeezed all the nutrition out of it. Uh, and then in that same year, uh, 1933, the hero of our story, Otto Rowetter, um, sold his patents, his his bread slicing patents, to the Micro Westco Company, which doesn't have, uh, which isn't spelled in a funny way. Not- it's just already a funny American business name. Micro West. Micro Westco. Small and Western. But Wonder Bread's motto during this period was, it's slow baked. And slow is spelled S-L-O. So is it good? Do you want bread that's baked it's slowly? Slow baked. Well, it's like, do you want the, music that's played really slowly? All the time and quality, I guess, you're supposed to think that went into it. This is the the uh, the originators. They, they are the originators of the slow food movement. It's just <laughs> slow SLO. Did Otto, um, did Otto get rich? Did Otto get his? He got rich and he became, you know, like, I think he sold his patents to uh, Micro Westco and he became vice president of the... Uh, slicing operations? The, oh, I think it was like the Rowetter slicing uh, division of the company. Nice. Um, Wonder Bread later... After their bread was enriched, their new slogan was "Helps build strong bodies." In ten different ways. See, that's the one I remember. Yeah, like we are now build. we are now getting into my era. But sliced bread was not without controversy. Uh oh. Um, the the best thing since sliced bread business. Um, people started saying it fairly soon after. Uh, the invention of sliced bread because immediately following the invention of sliced bread, someone else had an innovation that they wanted to compare to this miraculous sliced bread. And so uh, there was a, there was a feeling that like in the United States, we kind of have a sort of uniform size of a bread slice, but other places around the world don't want to be confined to one size of slice. Like there, there's different applications for well, this kind of sandwich. You want a big piece of this. And that's for, right. For Texas toast, you want a thick slice. Sure. Uh, in the United Kingdom, you can buy extra thick sliced bread, thick, medium, or does, thin. Does thick have two C's? Is, is that a hilarious misspelling? Uh, well, that's how they do it in Ireland. <laughs> oh, no. In fact, Ireland, uh, you can buy... Uh, uh, you can buy bread called sliced pan, which is either 800 or 400 100 gram loaves. In Japan, they have a lot of different uh, sizes of bread slices, um, but it's measured in terms of how many slices are in a loaf. So you can get four slice loaf, you can get 10 slice loaf. Doesn't help me. I don't know how long the loaf is. Well, that's the thing. They need to go back to the drawing board with that one, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Japanese do not like... Um, 
do not like their sandwiches on thick slices. They want thin slices. I'm imagining Japanese uh, uh, Wonder-style bread as being incredibly square. Like, you know how when American bread is square, it still has that kind of boomp at the top? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it poofs at the top and then a longer bottom? And I feel like uh, Japanese bread really is like square like a sponge cake. Well, they cut the... It, it they, got extruded. They cut the crust off. Is that they, true? Yeah, they make it square. They, they, there's a... Sa sandwich bread in Japan is actually sold without... It's like cut super square. You're absolutely right. It's for, mo it's for moms who are tired of cutting off the crusts for their picky kids. Right. Well, or just like, I don't know. Who, who knows what's going on in Japanese food culture? Not I. I had a friend when I was a kid whose mom told him that she wouldn't cut off the crust because that's where the nutrients were. Yeah, that's, she, I've heard that too. It, it can't, somehow goes to the outside of the loaf yeah, when it's, you bake it. Because it's browner. Exactly. Brown is, nutri is nutritious. I mean, it's true if she's talking about an apple, but she got apples and white bread confused. Right. Probably because they're the only two foods <laughs> her kids eat. <laughs> Uh, in 1933, there was an innovation in sliced bread, which was that uh, a single loaf that had both thick and thin slices within the same loaf. Oh, it alternates? Yeah, or either either that or it's one half of it is one kind and the other half is the other. I'm not sure. What, however, the uh, probably both styles uh, were invented at one point or another by some tinkerer. I would do the two ends because then one person can deal off the top mm -hmm. and the other person can deal off the bottom. You have access to both. But that was advertised as the first improvement since sliced bread. Oh, is that the origin of the of the the uh, idiom? Well, in, and then in 1940, there was a, a package of bread sold that had two half loaves within a single package. And that was advertised as the greatest convenience since sliced bread. So because it was a kind of a game-changing innovation that later had a series of aggressively marketed tweaks, that's how better than sliced bread, best thing since sliced bread became part of American English? It, it gra gradually evolved. But, but the controversy around sliced bread happened during World War II. As you know, and as we've probably uh, hinted at to futurelings, in discussing this era, there was a lot of rationing in World War II because uh, America felt like we needed, and this was true of all nations at war, uh, you needed all resources dedicated to manufacturing uh, material that supported the war effort. It would be unpatriotic to have nice tires on your car. That's right. Because that's so, rubber you're keeping from Europe. And we weren't making new cars. There were no new appliances made during that period. And also there were, there were metal drives and resources drives where you would take the bumpers off your car and take them in and donate them to the war effort to be melted down and turned into battleships to, uh, to fight Hirohito. And uh, there were uh, and rationing involved also that you couldn't just go to the store and buy as much food as you wanted. There was, uh, it was not that it was not that America didn't have the same resources, but it was that we needed to dedicate a lot of food to our troops overseas. And also it was, it was, it was labor intensive to harvest and process food too. So you got little tickets, ration cards for how much meat you were able to buy in a week, how much coffee, or I guess you couldn't even get coffee. But one of the rationing uh, suggestions or one of, I'm sorry, not suggestions, but edicts was that in, um, in 1943, the food administration issued a ban on sliced bread. Well, I'm not sure what is being conserved there. Well, the idea being that sliced bread required wrapping. 
wrapping paper, oh. heavy waxed paper to keep it together once it had been sliced. And That's we, true. We needed that wax paper for the war effort, and unsliced bread, you could just buy a loaf, carry it home under your arm, you could put it in the basket of your bike, you could put it on, you know, kind of behind your... Sticky, sticking out of your shopping bag like a French woman. That's right, with your beret on at a jaunty angle. And so uh, the Food Administration said uh, in January of 43, no more sliced bread in order to in order to help our troops overseas. <laughs> if you're eating sliced bread, you're lunching <laughs> with Hitler. That's right. <laughs> uh, the problem was that by 1943, a lot of delicatessens, a lot of restaurants had their own bread slicing machine. Like bread slicing machines were not difficult to scale down to the size of a single loaf of bread. Sure, if, you if you don't have to do a, tr- a factory or a truck's full, right. like it's, it's easy to jump, 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 send a piece of bread through a blade. So there were all kinds of restaurants and businesses that said, well, what do you mean we just have to put a tarp over our bread slicing machine? That seems kind of crazy. Like to basically use it as a cutting board to use a knife to cut our bread. Uh, but the the ban was enforced because if you could get bread at a place that had their own bread slicing machine, that was an unfair advantage that those places had to places that had been forbidden from serving pre-sliced bread. The nanny state. Uh, LaGuardia in New York State came out in favor of allowing local businesses that had their own bread slicing machines to continue to slice their own bread. But the... uh, Food administration shot him down. Uh, there was a lot of hullabaloo because a lot of uh, people on the home front had become uh, so dependent on the convenience of sliced bread that the prospect of going back to slicing 10, 20 slices of bread a day, uh, it seemed like how would we ever how would we ever return? It would be like the government coming into your house and saying, uh, you're not allowed to use toilet paper anymore, Ken. You have to find a different way. Uh, I hope there was a black market. I hope you could like buy sliced bread. Uh, yeah, drive in an your alley. Car, drive your car some alley behind a deli, and some guy opens guys his, like Psst. opens his uh, trench coat <laughs> and he's got sliced bread in there. <laughs> yeah, on the inside of the coat. That ban did not last long. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of outcry. The official stance was that they did some research and discovered that. They actually had a surplus of waxed paper such that it could accommodate both the military needs and also the sliced bread market. That was lucky. Yeah. And so in March of 43, they they repealed the ban. I would tell FDR, you can take my sliced bread out of my cold, <laughs> dead fingers. <laughs> one, uh, one major effect of sliced bread that, um, that I guess you, you wouldn't have predicted, but of course it makes sense, is that it inspired a similar boom in the sales of peanut butter and jam and sandwich meats and cheese. So the sandwich takes off in a way it hadn't before? Because if you have to sit and slice a piece of bread every time you want a piece of bread, that extra little bit of labor inhibits you from just walking through the kitchen and grabbing a couple of slices of bread and making a sandwich. You, you are faced with the prospect of getting out a knife 
and cutting this crusty bread. The sandwich had not reached its final form. That's right. In the Earl of Sandwiches era. But all you have to do, if if all you have to do is waltz into the kitchen and pull two perfectly sliced uh, slices of bread out and go to the refrigerator and find... You make a big, hilarious Dagwood Bumstead yeah. uh, middle-of-the-night sandwich. And so it... Um, so the the whole like uh, multi tentacled big sandwich sandwich culture uh, became a mid twentieth century and uh, phenomenon. That's that, how that lazy we were. This day. We wouldn't we wouldn't eat a sandwich if we had to cut the bread ourselves. I'm still that way. If you handed <laughs> if you handed me a regular loaf, I'd be like, ah, it's kind of just easier to eat a banana. <laughs> And that concludes Sliced Bread, entry 1172.MK0652, certificate number 50925, in the omnibus. Futurelings, I know in your time you say things like, this is the best innovation since social media, uh, possibly ironically, uh, instead of sliced bread. But in our day, social media was the new sliced bread. We could not get enough of it. Uh you know, in the past, if you wanted to show pictures to friends, you would just be like, yeah, it's too hard. I'm not going to do that. Like not making a sandwich. But once there was, uh, once there were channels available, once your information was being bought and sold to bots and solds, uh, it was easy to do so. And so John and I were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter and in John's case, Instagram. Uh, we were at Omnibus Project jointly on every social media network we could think of. Um, we were VSCO girls, whatever that is. What? Say what? That's the best thing since TikTok, John. I see. That's the best thing since sliced TikTok. And uh, we uh, encouraged, even on Facebook, a site we hated, we encouraged our uh, supporters to congregate on the Futurelings fan page. We encourage you to, to look them up, to revel with them, join in their revels. We would receive uh, electronic mail at our address, theomnibusproject at gmail.com. From time to time, people would even send us physical artifacts. Cool things. Yeah, we uh, we get nice things in the mail now uh, all the time, and it's uh, it's wonderful. You know, last week we got $80 in cash, and I still haven't gotten my $40 from Ken. You'll never see that $40, John. If, I keep, if we keep saying this, maybe he'll send you more. Hmm. Well, but you are the one that, that controls the keys to the P.O. box. <laughs> I have a lot of power here. You're going to have to come. You're going to have to send me the money you want to send me and then come to John's house. Mm, don't do that. Here's a postcard that says, welcome to Earth. Uh, apparently it was sent from Earth. We have fans on Earth. <laughs> oh, awesome. Welcome, Earthlings. This one is only to you, John. It's a wedding invitation. Let's see if I should have opened this. Cereal? Sooner. Did we miss the wedding already? No, it's in September. Good news. And you have a plus one if you want to bring me. Hey, why don't we go? To Where a, is it? To, is it's it, in Rhode Island. Is it in <laughs> Bora Bora? Rhode Island? That seems like we could make that trip. It's the Bora Bora of the Atlantic. Can you imagine the hilarious road trip podcast we would make if we just drove across the country to go to every wedding to that people weddings. asked us to go to? Good news. Uh, there's a discount code at the Hampton Inn in Seekonk. So make sure you use this group code when you book us our... Uh, our hotel room. Has it ever occurred to you that we have a kind of yogi and boo-boo uh, <laughs> dynamic? I'm sure you think I'm boo-boo. <laughs> Whatever pair of fictional characters you think know, we are, boo-boo. I think I might disagree with. <laughs> this one's just to me, but okay. I bet it's I bet it's not a wedding invitation. 
It's a clipping from the paper. Is it about your epic Jeopardy run of 2004? Is it about how I hate Canadians? Oh, no, it's, uh... It's from the Washington Post? What is it? What newspaper is it from? It's from the Omaha World Herald. Okay. Often confused with the Washington Post, (laughs) except one of them brought down a president, (laughs) and one of them has the Junior Jumble. Uh, It's got people reminiscing... It's got Omahans reminiscing about the moon landing. Oh. And one of them is uh, Jeopardy producer Harry Friedman. So this person thought to send me... Oh, that's nice. ...what Harry thought about the... uh, About the moon landing. Oh, and she has multiple clippings about uh, Harry Friedman's game show career. I think that of all the podcasts in the world, Omnibus is the one with listeners most likely to still clip things from the newspaper and send it to other people. It doesn't say much for the prospects of our listenership in 20 years, does it? Uh, But as long as you all live, please feel free to send us your physical artifacts to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Please don't send us cash in the mail. We're just joking. If you feel like you want to contribute to the uh, Omnibus Project now that we're an independent entity with no corporate parent with fat pockets... That's not an expression. Deep fat pockets? Po- fat wallets in deep pockets. No, I think fat pockets is the way to go. I've got deep wallets in my fat pockets. When you were coming up, the thing is you were in Korea, you missed the whole fat pockets era. <laughs> but that was a real... What kind of, was, what article of clothing would have fat pockets? Are you you put a fat pocket in almost anything. Uh, could I have a pair of gaily colored jams? If you jam had jams shorts? with fat pockets... The, yeah. the world was your oyster, and then maybe uh, maybe like a pacifier on a on a necklace around <laughs> your neck, some big headphones. So, if you would like to contribute to uh, not to our our pockets are not fat now no. that we're post corporate. No, no, no. We have we have thin po- pockets. We have thin threadbare pockets. Um, but if you would like to put virtual cash in them uh, to make sure the omnibus continues for a long and healthy future, you can do so at patreon.com slash omnibus project. I think this is also the point where you tell people to go to Reddit, hmm. and I'm not going to do that. Omnibus underscore futurelings at Reddit. I would just like to reiterate how appreciative we are of all of our fans, of all of the contributions you've made, both uh, financially and just in the contribution of your time and ear. Yeah. Uh, ear, like, gates. You I open your s- ear gates I had to somebody us. ask me, uh, you know, I don't have the budget to support Omnibus financially. What can I do, Ken? And it was that part in Mal- where Malcolm X is like, nothing, cracker, and he walks away. <laughs> no, I said, you know, you just just tell a friend, you know? Well, like, tell a friend, that's right. Tell a friend, write a nice review for Omnibus on whatever the, the uh, uh, time capsule ranking log algorithm of your era is. Yeah, that's true. Now that we are an independent show, we no longer have uh, the media budget to continue to grow our audience. We are reliant on... The word f- of our, mouth. Our fan community. So if spread you, the word about Omnibus. If you have mouths, use them. If you have a, you know, if you, what do you have instead of a mouth? Yeah, click your mandibles together. Gastropod, word of gastro, gastropod. Uh, make, uh, make, you know, communicate through your, uh, your farts. Your pheromones. <laughs> oh yeah. Send out a. Send out the odor of I like m- Omnibus. Broadcast uh, your, your musky scent. Uh, listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Obviously, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. And by that, I mean, like all our recordings until the next recording, 
It, at the time we recorded each one, we were under the impression that it could be our final word. That's Cle- right. Clearly now we know that many are not. Yes, all of our recordings are not our final word. Except for this one. This one this could one, be. Absolutely. Once again, we are confronted with the fact that this may be our final word. We're quite certain that many are not. Gold hats, not our not final our word. Not our final word. That's right. The T-fenestration of Prague, absolutely not our final word. Furries, hard to think that they could be our final word. No, but sliced bread... What if it is? Could be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omni.